0: my feet hold my hand take my hand precious Lord (laughs) lead me home precious Lord take my hand lead me on help me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. You may be seated. Good morning. There was once a lion was very proud of himself. This lion was proud of his mastery over the jungle, and he wanted everyone to recognize that mastery. And so he skipped past all the small animals and went right to the bear. He said, Mr. Bear, who is the king of the jungle? And the bear said, well, you are, of course. And the lion gives a mighty roar of approval. He goes on to the tiger and he says, Mr. Tiger, who is the king of the jungle? And the tiger says, why, of course, you are. And again, he gives out a mighty roar of approval. Then he goes to the elephant. He says, Mr. Elephant, who is the king of the jungle? And the elephant takes his trunk, grabs him by the throat, swings him around in the air four or five times, beats him down on the ground, throws him and dunks him into a nearby lake, and finally he's done with him and lays him out on the ground. And the lion, after coming to, beaten and bruised, says to the elephant, look, just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean you have to get mean about it. Do you know of anyone who lives with that kind of self-delusion? Maybe you know somebody like that in life. If you don't know anyone like that, you can turn on the television and you can see professional athletes or actors or actresses or TV personalities that are bereft of humility and and people who are totally and constantly self-promoting themselves. And even, even if you see those folks, those athletes who want to say, well, first of all, I want to thank God, or even though you might see those actors or actresses that they give credit to those who helped them get there, for every ounce of humility, there's a pound of arrogance and self-promotion, isn't there? And it's not just the professional athlete. It's not just the TV personality. It's the person you're trying to carry on a conversation with who constantly interrupts you. It's the person you're having a conversation with that's always checking their watch or checking their phone. It's the person who comes into church and gets upset because someone is sitting in their pew. It's the person that is habitually late. It is the person who checks Facebook or Instagram or Twitter hundreds of times a day to see who has liked or shared their post or retweeted their tweet In short, it's the person who is consumed with themselves and matters pertaining to themselves. You see, far too many people have the wrong idea when it comes to humility and being humble. Humility is not self-pity. You know, someone says, well, my life is horrible. They're not being humble. You know, people like that. My life is just terrible. I, I just, I hate my life. Well, you're just being too humble. No, you might be depressed, but you're not humble. And depression is often a product of obsessing over our problems and our condition. It's an unhealthy outlook on life. But here's the thing. Some of the most prideful and arrogant people are those who pity themselves. Because it's a preoccupation with myself. Look at me. Look how pitiful I am. Give me all of your attention. Shine the spotlight on me because I have all these problems And I just want people to pay attention to me. That's not humility. Humility is also not self-degradation. Some people don't know how to take a compliment. You tell them, great job, and they say, oh, you know, it's not great. I'm not good at anything. You know, that's not humility. It's really a slap in the face of God, isn't it? God made you. You're telling me that God made you with zero talent or ability? It's okay to recognize that you have some talent or ability. You don't have to constantly say, well, I'm no good, I can't do anything. That's not humility. Humility isn't pretending that you can't do anything right. We all have something to contribute, and it's okay to recognize that. And it's okay to accept a compliment. But the reason why humility is not self-pity or self-degradation is because of that word self. That's what it all boils down to. Humility is all about taking the focus off of self. It's not denying what is true. You know, if someone someone says, you know, Ender, you're a great football player, and Ender responds, no, I'm a loser. That's not humility. It's okay to accept a compliment. The better way to respond would be, well, thank you, but let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. Maybe that's a better way of looking at it. You can use that, by the way. (laughs) When it comes to humility, it's not about saying I'm good at nothing. It's not about saying that I have nothing to offer or nothing to contribute. Humility is simple. It's not being preoccupied with self, either good or bad. Like Paul said, humility is when we consider others as more important than ourselves. Here's the thing. If You'll turn with me to Numbers chapter 12. Royce read from here a moment ago. And In Numbers chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, we see an interesting episode play out. It says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses, Because of the Cushite woman that he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Do you see the problem there? You have Miriam who is saying, what's so special about Moses? What's so special about him? I mean, God talks to us too. She was obviously not happy about the fact that Moses was getting more than his fair share of the spotlight, she felt. And she starts complaining to Aaron. Apparently, it all started with this Cushite woman. Evidently, they didn't like her, or they're using her as the object of their gossip and slander. And then they turn it towards Moses and say, well, what's so special about him? Why is he getting all this attention? God speaks to us too. But you see, Moses had a different relationship with God than they did. We see this type of behavior all the time. We see it in our culture all the time. Maybe you've been privy to it. Maybe you have been an instigator of it. Where one of your co-workers gets employee of the month. Well, they don't deserve that. They're late more than they're on time. When they are here, they don't do anything. She only got that because she's pretty. It's all political. How many of you as parents have a child that sat the bench while someone else played their position? And you vent to your spouse or you talk to yourself or to another parent and you say, yeah, what's so special about that kid? Why is he getting to play? My son is just as good. My daughter is just as good. This is, this is all political. That's all it is. Their parents are friends with the coach. That's why he gets to play and we see it play out in our culture all the time. When I was coaching, we had, a, we had some good baseball teams, and believe me, it wasn't because of coaching, but we had some good talent, and one year we were really good, and we had made the regional tournament. In Arkansas, if you make it to the regional tournament, and you make it to the finals of regional, you don't even have to win. If you just make it to the finals, you go on to state. We had made it to the regional final. First time in school history, we lost that game seven to five, but we make it to the state tournament, and we're, in the, we're practicing for the state tournament. And it's the night before we go to state. And I noticed my first baseman is not trying real hard in practice. He seems a little down in the mouth, and I don't know what's going on. And so I assume he may be sick or something because he's just going through the motions. His mom shows up to pick him up from practice, and she doesn't seem very happy either. And so I just confronted the situation, and I said, something wrong here? And it turns out that both of them were incensed that he didn't make the all-regional tournament team. And that is what inspired his actions that day in practice. He wasn't going to work hard. He wasn't going to do anything because he was sullen and he was mad that his best friend and teammate made the uh, all-region team, but he didn't. And my response to the mother was, so much for team before self. You won't be very successful as a team if you're only looking out for number one. You've got to be humble. You've got to be able to set yourself aside, right? And that's what's going on here in Numbers chapter 12. Miriam, Moses' own sister, mind you, Miriam is so upset that her younger brother is getting more than his share of the spotlight, and she does what so many people do today. She starts complaining. And she finds an ear of someone who would listen. And so she starts gossiping, and she even starts slandering her own brother because he seems to be more important. And you know what Aaron does? He listens. You know what Aaron should have done? Aaron should have stepped up and said, Miriam, look, this is your brother. Stop, stop that. You, you shouldn't be doing this. But he doesn't. Aaron caves and he goes along with the crowd. He's done that before, right? Remember in Exodus chapter 32, he goes along with the crowd and then we have this whole worshiping of a golden calf, right? And so Aaron should have stepped up and said something. Miriam should have kept her mouth closed to begin with, but neither one of them do what they should in that situation. And notice the last five words of verse 2. And the Lord heard it. Uh oh. That's not a good thing. God hears this. And as a preacher, I have to admit, I get this sort of sick satisfaction seeing this play out. You know, I'm not a prophet and I don't talk directly to God in the same way that Moses did. But it's kind of like when Elisha's walking along there and the two kids are calling him Baldy. Hey, Baldy, hey, Baldy. And God causes a bear to come out and maul them. And I think, yeah, that's right. Don't talk about God's preacher. You know, that's what's going to happen to you. So you kind got to get this sixth sense of satisfaction here seeing this play out. But God hears. And he comes to settle the matter. It's not a good thing when God hears you talking about his servant. God strikes Miriam with leprosy to show her and Aaron that he doesn't play around and that you don't mess with God's prophets. More importantly, you don't mess with the way that God set things up. Verse 3 says, Now Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. What do you think about when you think of Moses as a leader? What what comes to mind? I know with me, when I think of the leader Moses, I think of somebody who had to be strong, who had to be very bold and and courageous to lead that many people on this journey. But apparently what made Moses a great leader was the fact that he was humble. In fact, the most humble man on the face of the earth. Of the earth. And I want to ask you this morning, do you want that? Do you want to be the most humble man or woman on the face of the earth? Because I think a lot of times we read Bible stories like the one with Moses in it, and we say, well, that's great. Moses was very humble. What a great guy. We read the Bible with a certain appreciation, but not so much with application in mind. We should want to be what these people were. Not in every sense. They all had their their issues or their problems, right? We don't want to share in their weaknesses, but we should look at this as a matter of application and say, I want to be humble like that. I want to be the most humble person on the face of the earth. Do you want that? Do you pursue it? Do you desire to be that? Notice Numbers chapter 12, starting in verse 4. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. And when they both had come forward, he said, Hear my own words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? And so the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. So here's what's going on. God comes to set the matter straight. And he tells Miriam and Aaron, he humbles them by saying, Yeah, I talk to you. If there's a prophet among me, I speak to them in, in visions, in riddles, and parables. Not so with Moses. Moses is on a different level than you. I speak mouth to mouth with him. Think of what that means. God is saying, I have a very similar relationship as a human to human relationship with Moses. It's like it's one human talking to a human almost. That's the kind of relationship we have. I talk to him, he talks to me. That's different than the way I talk to you or anyone else. And you're just going to have to get over that. You're just going to have to understand this is the way it is, and you can like it or not, but that's the way it's going to be. Moses is on a different level than you. I'm using him differently. I'm talking to him differently. Moses is said to be the most humble man on all the earth. And you don't speak to God's servant that way. You don't speak about him that way. Notice verse 10. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent... Behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly, in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, O oh God, heal her, I pray. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. You want to see the most humble person on the face of the earth exercise humility? This is it. It would have been easy for Moses and probably easy for someone living in our day and age, maybe be even easy for you to say, well, yeah, you're leprous, shouldn't have said anything. That's your fault. And Moses doesn't do that. Moses cares more about the relationship with his sister. He cares more uh, more about other people in this situation than he does about being right or, or being justified or getting his revenge. Notice what he does. He prays for Miriam. He prays that God remove the leprosy. Yeah, what she did was wrong, but I don't want her to be sick. I don't want her to suffer from a grotesque and debilitating disease. And you would expect that from the most humble person on the face of the earth, wouldn't you? Now shift gears a little bit, and let's look at another example of humility in the Bible. It's the example of David, who is on the run from Saul. David is up and coming, and Saul doesn't like it one bit. Saul doesn't like that the spotlight is really shifted from him to David. Fresh off a of victory over Goliath and, and, and everyone's singing his praises. You have this valiant, handsome, mighty warrior David. He's getting a lot of attention. They're throwing parades. They're singing songs about him. And Saul doesn't like it one bit. And Saul reacts by hunting down David. David becomes his prey. And he flees. And, and Saul learns from a report that David is hiding in the rocky fortresses of the Judean desert. And so he takes 3,000 men with him to go and hunt down David and search and destroy. Think about that. You need 3,000 men to go kill David? But that's what Saul does. He takes an army with him, and he's got David in his crosshairs. And if you notice 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting in verse 3, it reads like this. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. This was it. Saul was vulnerable. He had unknowingly walked into an ambush. This was David's golden opportunity to kill the man who had been pursuing him. And David relents. He doesn't do anything. The humble David says this, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. Saul was still king, and that meant something to David. And David is simply saying, if he is still anointed by God, then who am I to step in and do anything about that? It's not my place to remove him from the throne. That's God's place. In other words, for David, submitting to God and his will was more important than rubbing off Saul. That's humility. Notice verses 8 and following. Now afterward David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. There's a sign of humility, right? David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave, and some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life and to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Now, someone might say, well, I mean, David was making a strategic move here. He's not being humble, he's just being smart. Because if David were to kill Saul, he's going to come out of that cave eventually and find 3,000 men ready to kill him because he had killed the king. But not so fast. Remember that most people at this time realized, especially these men probably, that David had a valid claim to the throne. And David probably led many of these men, if not most of them, in battle when he was a general in Saul's army. So I don't think we can claim that David is making a strategic move here. I think God had this recorded for us so that we could see humility in action. We have yet another example of humility. When Saul had David in his crosshair, Saul walks in unknowingly on an ambush. David had an opportunity to kill him, and he says, No, you are God's anointed. Until the day you're not, I'm not stepping in and doing anything. David's only responsibility, he felt, was to submit, plain and simple. So here's my question. Which one are you? Out of all the people we've discussed, which one are you? Are you Miriam? Are you one that tends to resent those who get the spotlight when you don't? And are you one that tends to resort to gossiping or maybe even slandering them when they receive more than the lion's share of the attention? Are you an Aaron? Are you one that refuses to speak up and speak out because you don't want to cause any waves? You just go along with the flow even though you know what the person is saying and doing is not right. You should step up, but you don't. Or are you a Saul? Hopefully not. Hopefully hopefully you don't track down someone that you feel is getting more than their fair share of attention because you want to kill them, but we can kill people in our hearts, can't we? Through bitterness and malice and anger, we can treat them differently, even though they've done nothing to us. You see this all the time. You shun them. You don't speak to them. Because you're angry with them? Or are you a a David or a Moses? Are you someone who no matter what says, I'm going to look to God and I'm going to look to others? And I'm going to exercise humility because I want to be the most humble person on the face of the earth. That is a goal for me. When Jesus laid out The the Beatitudes, he started with the most important. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit basically means humble. Because there is no one that's going to be in heaven who's not first humble. No one will be in heaven who is not poor in spirit first and foremost. And you can't have all those other Beatitudes unless you are first humble. Have you noticed that? And so are you someone who says, I want to be poor in spirit. I want to be the most humble man on the face of the earth. I want to work hard at being humble. I want to pursue that. I want to strive diligently for that. Doing God's will is more important to me than anything else. And loving his people is more important to me than anything else. I know you know this, but I feel the need to say it anyway. The Bible is not just words on paper for us to study and learn and to know and to memorize the Bible exists for the purpose of transformation and so we don't treat Moses and David like people who are characters that we hold in high esteem that are so much above us that we just appreciate them but we don't strive to be like them no we look at their story and we say I want to be that I want to be like they were. I want to exercise the same humility. And like I said, of course, we learn from their mistakes as well. We still filter out the bad and we keep the good. We don't want to be like these people in every single way because like us, they had some glaring problems and weaknesses, right? But when we read the words, Moses was more humble than any man on the face of the earth, we should think to ourselves, yeah, I want to be like that. I want to be humble. I want to be like Moses in that respect so we don't just read it and appreciate it we read it and we seek to apply it we desire it with all our hearts and we make that our goal because humility is essential for our transformation all these words that we have been studying over the last few weeks kindness forgiveness all those different words are about character transformation In fact, that's the heading over these words, character transformation. We want to transform our character by studying and applying these words to our lives. Hopefully that's what we want. Let me ask you another question. Who wrote Numbers chapter 12? Any guess? You know who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Yeah, you're starting to get where I'm going, right? So who wrote Numbers chapter 12, verse 3? So Moses wrote, now Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. That's interesting, isn't it? That would be like me standing up here and saying, you guys know that I'm the most humble preacher on the face of the planet, right? What would you think about that? You would probably think you just proved you're not, right? When God tells you to write something, you write it. Do you think Moses had a difficult time writing that? If he was the most humble man on the face of the earth, I bet he had a difficult time writing those words. But God told him to write it. The Holy Spirit tells you to write something, you're going to write it, aren't you? Even if it might be uncomfortable for you, even if it might be difficult, you're going to write it down. Because humility is not about recognizing or, or, or saying that I don't have any ability. It's not about saying when someone compliments you, oh, well, I'm nothing, I'm no good. Moses tried that before God, didn't he? When he speaks to him in a burning bush to tell him to go and lead this great great journey out of exile, Moses says, well, you know, uh, I'm not an eloquent speaker. Maybe that was false humility, I don't know. But God wasn't buying it because God said, I made your mouth, it's okay to recognize that I did that. This isn't about self-pity or self-degradation. If God says you're humble, you're humble. If God says you're something, you are that something, right? You see, humility isn't about denying your talents or abilities. It isn't about having a low estimation of yourself. That would be a slap in the face of God because God made you. Humility is thinking more about God and others than you do yourself. That's what it's all about. The gist of humility is thinking less about me And more about God and other people. Instead of being so preoccupied with me, I need to be preoccupied with God. And with other people. Do people struggle with this in the church? You better believe it. Do preachers struggle with this? Thinking that it's all about them? Bringing the spotlight on themselves? taking credit for all the growth and things that are happening at their church? Do elders struggle with this? Shepherds believing that they are above the fray and like a diatrophies, wanting all the attention. They want to be a ruler rather than a shepherd. Do deacons struggle with this? Well, sure they do. Do worship leaders, song leaders struggle with this? Oh, you better believe it. Wanting to be the show? Do Christians struggle with this? We all do. It's okay to admit it. But do you want to be the most humble person on the face of the earth? How bad do you want that? Let God have the spotlight. That's what Jesus did in John chapter 5 and verse 30. He stated, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And that is the essence of humility. I can do nothing on my own initiative. It's not about me. Even Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, said, this isn't about me. And he emptied himself and showed true humility as he dwelt here on earth leading of the way and showing us by example, that when we come to God with our hands empty, saying, I have nothing and I am nothing without you, that's true humility. What do you have in your life today that didn't come from God? And if you can't say nothing, then you don't understand humility. If we can help you this morning, maybe you're ready to humble yourself in the sight of God and become a child of God, being immersed in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins. Maybe you're ready to humble yourself before Him in prayer because you're struggling with sin and you know that you can't do this on your own. If you have a need this morning that we can help you with, certainly we want to do that. We want to be a family of humble Christians They don't seek to gossip or slander about your problems or about who you are, but rather understanding that we're all in the same boat. And we all need God. We all need Jesus. So if you have a need this this morning, Luke's going to lead us in a song. Come now as we stand and as we sing. There's a call comes ringing or the restless.